Hi, I'm David Zichterman, the pastor of Emden CRC, and today I'll be looking at Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, and Lord's Day 33 from the Heidelberg Catechism. The first this reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And then these words from Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin, and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. What are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, 
and are done for God's glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Lord's Day 33 captures what Martin Luther stated in his 95 Theses. Martin Luther's first thesis says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he intended the entire life of believers to be repentance. That idea launched the Reformation. Martin Luther was protesting against the idea, then popular at the time, that repentance could be bought and sold. In the early medieval church, monks developed a system designed to help them repent of their sins. After committing a wrongdoing, they would confess to another monk, who would then assure them of God's forgiveness, and then assign them a good work to make up for the wrong they did. Perhaps if a person stole, they would then be assigned to repay what they took and serve in a soup kitchen. Or if a person worked on the Sabbath, they, would, they may be assigned the task of beginning each day with an hour of solitude. The assigned good works became known as acts of penance, and as time went by, they became codified and systematized. So if a person committed particular sin X, a priest could consult his book of penance and assign good work Y. This is a simplified understanding of the penance system, but I hope you can see that it began as a good impulse, as a way to help people leave behind sin and pick up good habits. What began good, though, slowly became quite corrupt. By the time of Martin Luther, good works were jettisoned for indulgences. Instead of serving the poor or saying more prayers, a person could claim they had repented by buying an indulgence, which was, in a sense, a certificate of repentance. Through the sale of indulgences, the Catholic Church rebuilt its cathedrals. And through the purchase of indulgences, people could convince themselves they had repented when in reality all they had done was buy a piece of paper. When Martin Luther observed Johann Tetzel, a Dominican friar, claiming people didn't need to repent, but only by indulgences to get to heaven, he was furious. In response, he wrote his 95 Theses. Repentance isn't something you can buy or sell, he claimed. It's a lifelong commitment of every believer. It isn't something you purchase through gold. It is rather the daily response of those who have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is the daily dying away of the old self and coming to life of the new. Martin Luther realized repentance isn't a one-and-done thing, but a daily reality, because he realized how deep and deadly sin is. American evangelicalism often stresses the importance of a conversion date. In some circles, it's how you prove you're a bona fide Christian. It creates a nice, simple narrative. When conversion dates are stressed, there is usually the, the pre-Christian days dominated by sex, drugs, and alcohol. And then there are the post-conversion days of a cleaned-up life. They are often nice stories, but often too simplistic. Most conversion stories I have heard highlight a dramatic change in behavior, but often conclude with an awkward acknowledgement of a continued struggle with the same sin supposedly left behind a kind of asterisk to the conversion story. In the worst case scenarios, a, person, a person's conversion could be used like a bought indulgence. I remember a sermon illustration from my pastor growing up who shared about a wealthy businessman who boasted how prior to becoming a Christian, he was full of greed and selfishness, 
Then, when he became a Christian, he gave away all his money to the poor. Subsequently, he became richer than he had been before. When asked, how did you get so wealthy, he replied, God blessed my decision to give all my money away when I converted. When asked, would you be willing to give up all your money again to help the poor? There came no reply. The wealthy man would rather cling to his conversion date as proof of his repentance, like a medieval man clinging to an indulgence, rather than self-examine and repent again for any remaining greed and selfishness. What Martin Luther understood is that our nature is corrupted by sin, so that sin constantly boils forth as though from a contaminated spring. The only proper response, then, in view of Christ's mercy, in view of the blood he shed on the cross to forgive us, is to daily repent. Martin Luther understood the nature of sin because he was a careful student of Paul's letter to the Romans. He studied and read Paul's seventh chapter, which highlights just how bad, deceptive, and persistent sin is. Verses 7 through 12 highlight how even the good gift of the law was and is unable to arrest the destructive power of sin. Paul wants to make clear that the law is good. It's a, it is God's gift that promises safety in life. The law is an outworking of the, and continuation of the command God had given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There in the garden, God had said to Adam and Eve that they were to eat from any tree in the garden, but they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if they were to eat from it, they would surely die. This command not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a lot like the caution signs we see around electrical substations, which say, danger, keep out, high voltage. Warnings that make clear that if you trespass, you could kill yourself. God's warning was not good enough for Adam and Eve, though. The very warning God gave made them desire what was forbidden. They coveted what God had forbidden, and when they ate the forbidden fruit, their spiritual circuits were fried. Paul is saying in these verses that we are all in Adam with spiritually fried circuits. Sin takes what is good, God's warning, and compels us to seek after that which will kill us. Paul uses God's people, the Israelites, as Exhibit A. They receive the Ten Commandments, further instructions and warning from God to protect God's people from what can kill. The commands were given as guardrails to keep Israel from going over the edge of moral destruction. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in the Israelites every desire to break those very commandments. So shortly after God told the Israelites not to make idols, they made a golden calf. Paul, an Israelite, applied this destructive nature of sin to himself. When he learned coveting was wrong, he discovered he wanted to covet. His point is that sin is really destructive and it should not be underestimated. The law, God's good gift to humanity, couldn't stop it. Sin needs to be taken seriously. Verses 13 through 20 re-emphasize what he has already said, but personalizes it further. A reminder that the best theology is always the most personal. 
Paul makes clear again that the law is not bad because sin uses and abuses it. The law is holy, righteous, and good. The goodness of the law only highlights just how evil and bad sin is because it makes us grab on to that which says, warning, keep out. The law is good. We should desire to keep it and long to obey it. Psalm 119 should be our prayer. But as Paul points out, no matter how much we try to cling to God's law, we find sin living inside of us, making us do the very things we don't want to do, making us do the things we dread and hate. How miserable. And that's the point. Sin is really bad. When we take an honest look at ourselves, we find ourselves saying with Paul, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul knew the power of sin. It is deadly and powerful and makes us wretched. It should make us run toward Christ all the days of our lives. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ alone can rescue us from this body of death from this sinful nature of mine that constantly bubbles for sin like a contaminated spring. Because sin is so powerful and deadly, we daily need to run to Christ. And this running toward Christ is the conversion and repentance we are called to each and every day. It is not a one-time event made in high school, but a daily activity for all whom God has called. We have been delivered from our misery by God's grace alone through Christ, so that we may daily convert and repent and be conformed to the image of Christ. This daily repentance involves two things. It involves the dying away of the old self, the self that is no better than Adam or the Israelites or Paul. This dying away involves being genuinely sorry for our sin. I think a word that better captures what is being asked for here is ashamed. As we look back on our lives, we should be ashamed of all the bad things we have done. We should hate it more and more, seeing that it is the cause of all the pain and misery in our lives. This shame will then help us run away from sin in the future. Daily repentance also involves the coming to life of the new self. This is all about learning to put on the virtues of Christ and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. It is a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to do. There is a paradox at this point, though. Though sin has been defeated once and for all by Christ, sin limps on in our mortal bodies. Just as the Israelites cultivated delight in God's law by reciting Psalm 119, and still failed miserably to carry out God's law, so the same will be for us. As we think about doing good and obeying the commandments, it should be done with humility. We have not progressed much beyond ancient Israel, morally speaking. No matter how much we delight in God's law, no matter how much we view it as a, as a form of gratitude, sin will still hound us. Thanks be to God 
that God's grace hounds us more. Thanks be to God that we are called to daily repentance and daily to seek rest in God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Repentance cannot be bought or sold. It is rather something we daily practice as we come to appreciate both how great our sin and misery is and how much more infinitely greater God's grace and mercy in Christ are. Amen, and thanks for listening. Next Sunday, I'll be focusing on Psalm 115 and Lord's Day 34 from the Heidelberg Catechism.